Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 126. Today's big Bible question Are Christians still under Old Testament commands? So, happy Lord's Day, brethren and sistren. Today is a wonderful day to celebrate the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. If you don't have a digital church home, and I guess every week when I say that, I realize how strange it is, please consider joining our digital church home. Just go to Facebook and search for VBC Salinas. That's Victor Bravo Charlie, VBC Salinas, S-A-L-I-N-A-S. I'm the pastor at Valley Baptist Church in Salinas, and You can go there and like our page and join us for our live online service at 11 a.m. Pacific every Sunday. We also meet Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. And hey, you know what? We'd love to have you. The more the merrier. Today's Bible readings include Numbers chapter 10, Psalms 46 and 47, Song of Songs chapter 8, and Hebrews chapter 8. And our focus question comes from Hebrews 8. But here's the thing. Don't ask me to explain what's going on today in Song of Songs 8. That's a very unusual passage, and honestly, I need to spend some more time researching the meaning of Song Song of Songs in general. Some people believe the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon to be a book with sort of a dual meaning. On the surface, it's about the marriage and intimacy of Solomon and his bride, but deeper below that, a commentary on the relationship between God and his people. Now, that is the view that the early church held, by and large, not 100%, but most of them uh, back in the day kind of had that view of Song of Solomon. And honestly, I lean pretty strongly in that direction. I do think there's some allegorical things going on in Song of Solomon. But on the other hand, there's a lot of scholars, pastors, and teachers out there, especially in modern times, who are pretty darn adamant that Song of Songs is only about Solomon and his bride. Well, either way, Song of Songs 8 is pretty perplexing to me, no matter which viewpoint you take it from. Uh, There's some great passages in there, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying there's some kind of uh, eyebrow-raising passages too. Well, today's big Bible question doesn't come from Song of Songs 8. It comes from a very small part of Hebrews 8, but it's a big issue that's raised by the entire book of Hebrews, Uh, perhaps nowhere more clearly than Hebrews 8.13, which says this, By saying a new covenant, he has declared that the first is obsolete, and what is obsolete and growing old is about to pass away. Well, that's interesting language, to be sure. Is Hebrews 8 and many other Hebrews passage teaching that the Old Testament is obsolete, no longer binding on new covenant Christians. Well, let's go read it, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Now, the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices Therefore, it was necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest since there are those who offering the gifts prescribed by the law. These serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle. For God said, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree he is the mediator of a better covenant 
which has been established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second one. But finding fault with his people, he says, See, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. I showed no concern for them, says the Lord, because they did not continue in my covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And each person will not teach his fellow citizens and each his brother or sister, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their wrongdoing, and I will never again remember their sins. By saying a new covenant, he has declared that the first is obsolete, and what is obsolete and growing old is about to pass away. Now, one quick thing I want to point out, and I would have talked about this on the podcast today, except... I'm preaching about it for church this morning, and several members of Valley Baptist Church also listen to the podcast, and I just feel like it's rude and uh, all sorts of uh, not good to preach about the same thing you talk about on the podcast and, you know, risk boring people with redundancy. But there's this fascinating thing at the beginning of Hebrews 8 that I can't wait to preach about, and just to give you a little bit of preview, what those first six verses are saying is that the tabernacle design that was given to Moses, which we've been reading about in the Bible reading podcast over the last few weeks, that design was based on a heavenly tabernacle that is active and being run by Jesus, the high priest in heaven. Yes, there's a heavenly tabernacle. There's a heavenly place of God, and that's where God's throne is and the throne of Jesus. That's pretty interesting when you think about it, isn't it? Well, more on that for church tomorrow. Um, So, is the Old Testament obsolete? Is it no longer binding on New Covenant Christians? It's a great question. It's somewhat divisive. There are honestly good and godly men and women on both sides of this debate. Some believe that the Old Testament is no longer binding or authoritative on Christians. Some believe that both the Old and the New Testament are equally binding on Christians. And some believe that the Old Testament ceremonial laws and commands are no longer binding, but the moral commands are still binding or authoritative, or just to put it simply, we have to obey them. My view is discussed on a previous episode, I think it was episode number 15, is that non-Jewish New Covenant believers in Jesus are not under the commands of the Old Testament, but the New Testament. And I believe that this is what Hebrews 8 is referring to. Now, I get this uh, belief not from my own opinion, but I believe that is the implications of what happens at the first church council in Acts 15. They actually decide this question under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Do Christians that are Gentiles, in other words, non-Jewish Christians, like most of the people listening to this, I'm a Gentile, you're a Gentile, if you're not Israeli, if you weren't born in Israel or directly descended from people who were born in Israel, you're a Gentile Christian. And Acts 15 is all about, do Gentile Christians like us have to obey the Old Testament? And the ultimate answer is no, except for sexual immorality and the eating of blood and the related to, to idols. So go read or go, go read Acts 15 or go listen to uh, episode 15 of the Bible Reading Podcast for more on that. But the bottom line here is, um, 
I believe Hebrews 8 is referring to the fact that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law. He didn't nullify it. He brought it to completion. He finished the race. And though the Old Testament is still scripture, it's still the word of God, it's still profitable, it's still useful, we are not under the commands of the law and the Old Covenant anymore because it's been fulfilled. We are under the New Covenant. That doesn't mean we don't have commands. We absolutely do. They're all throughout the New Testament. And some of the Old Testament commands were brought into the New Testament. So I like how Michael Hoodman of gotquestions.org phrases it, and he starts out by quoting from Matthew 5, 17 through 18, which actually seems to be a passage that argues against our position, but just check it out. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Well, you read that first of all, and you say, oh, well, of course, the Old Testament is still binding, right? Well, Hoodman says, it could not be any more clear. Absolutely nothing in the law will disappear until everything is accomplished. In order to demonstrate that everything is accomplished, all we need to do is demonstrate that something from the law has disappeared. Is there something that has disappeared, asks Hoodman. Yes. What? The sacrificial system. And he's exactly right. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament, animal sacrifices covering sin, has disappeared. The Old Covenant system is no longer in effect, and it was a major aspect of the Old Covenant law. As we've been reading through Leviticus and Numbers, we see this. Not even the most ardent defender of the Hebrew roots movement will argue that God still wants us to be offering animal sacrifices today. So if the old covenant sacrificial system has disappeared, what does that mean? Well, it means, according to Matthew 5, 17 through 18, that everything is accomplished. If everything is accomplished, what does that mean? It means that the old covenant law has been fulfilled. How was it fulfilled? It was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived a life of perfect obedience to both the letter and the spirit of the Old Covenant law. Jesus Christ died to fulfill the Old Covenant sacrificial system. Jesus fulfilled or completed the entirety of the Old Covenant law. Therefore, followers of Jesus Christ, those who have accepted by grace through faith his death and resurrection as the atoning sacrifice for their sins, are not under the authority of the Old Covenant law. Romans 10.4 For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Galatians 3, 24 and 25. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Ephesians 2, 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. It's not complicated, says Hudman. Jesus fulfilled all of the law. The Old Covenant has been fulfilled. Observance of the Old Covenant law is not a requirement or even a recommendation for New Covenant believers. Now, if you want to observe the Old Covenant feasts and festivals in remembrance of the fact that Christ perfectly fulfilled them, wonderful. If you even want to attempt to live under the Old Covenant law, there's nothing in the New Covenant that would prevent you from doing so. It would be part of your freedom in Christ. But, I still have no idea why anyone would want to exchange what is described in Hebrews 8 through 10 as 
more excellent, with better promises, and greater and more perfect in order to live under what is described in the Bible as a shadow and obsolete. Well, that's an excellent point. But does it mean that the Old Testament isn't valuable? Does it mean that the Old Testament is no longer the Word of God? Of course it doesn't. It is valuable. It is profitable. It is the Scripture. When Paul says all Scripture is God-breathed, he's talking about the Old Testament. It's what Jesus and the apostles had. It's what they preached out of. Uh, But the thing is, we're no longer under the commands, the law of the Old Testament, but now we're under grace, the New Testament. Like I said earlier, go read Acts 15 for more, and also check out episode 15 of the Bible Reading Podcast, uh, which asks the question, are we still under the Old Testament? Well, let's keep reading in the Word. Speaking of the Old Testament, over to Numbers chapter 10. Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, make two trumpets of hammered silver to summon the community and have the camp set out. When both are sounded in long blasts, the entire community is to gather before you at the entrance to the tent of meeting. However, if one is sounded, only the leaders, the heads of Israel's clans, are to gather before you. When you sound short blasts, the camps pitched on the east are to set out. When you sound short blasts a second time, the camps pitched on the south are to set out. Short blasts are to be sounded for them to set out. When calling the assembly together, you are to sound long blasts, not short ones. The sons of Aaron, the priests, are to sound the trumpets. Your use of these is a permanent statute throughout your generations. When you enter into battle in your land against an adversary who is attacking you, sound short blasts on the trumpets and you will be remembered before the Lord your God and be saved from your enemies." You are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and your fellowship sacrifices and on your joyous occasions, your appointed festivals and the beginning of each of your months. They will serve as a reminder for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. During the second year and the second month, on the 20th day of the month, a cloud was lifted up above the tabernacle of the testimony. The Israelites traveled on from the wilderness of Sinai, moving from one place to the next until the cloud stopped in the wilderness of Paran. They set out for the first time according to the Lord's command through Moses. The military divisions of the camp of Judah's descendants with their banners set out first, and Nashon, son of Amminadab, was over their divisions. Nathanael, son of Zuar, was over the division of the tribe of Issachar's descendants, and Eliab, son of Helon, was over the division of the tribe of Zebulon's descendants. The tabernacle was then taken down, and the Gershonites and the Merarites set out, transporting the tabernacle. The military divisions of the camp of Reuben with their banner set out, and Eleazar, son of Shedoar, was over their divisions. Shilumiel, son of Zereshadai, was over the division of the tribe of Simeon's descendants, and Eliasaph, son of Deuel, was over the division of the tribe of Gad's descendants. The Kohathites then set out, transporting the holy objects. The tabernacle was to be set up before their arrival. Next, the military divisions of the camp of Ephraim's descendants with their banner set out, and Elishama, son of Amihud, was over their divisions. Gamaliel, son of Pedahutzer, was over the division of the tribe of Manasseh's descendants, and Abadan, son of Gideani, was over the division of the tribe of Benjamin's descendants. The military divisions of the camp of Dan's descendants with their banner set out, serving as rear guard for all the camps, and Ahatzer, son of Amashadai, was over their divisions. Pagiel, son of Ochran, was over the division of the tribe of Asher's descendants, and Ahira, son of Enan, was over the division of the tribe of Naphtali's descendants. 
This was the order of march for the Israelites by their military divisions as they set out. Moses said to Hobab, descendant of Reuel, the Midianite, and Moses' relative by marriage. We're setting out for the place the Lord promised. I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. But he replied to him, I don't want to go. Instead, I will go to my own land and my relatives. Please don't leave us, Moses said, since you know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you can serve as our eyes. If you come with us, whatever good the Lord does for us, we will do for you. And they set out from the mountain of the Lord on a three-day journey with the Ark of the Lord's Covenant traveling ahead of them for those three days to seek a resting place for them. Meanwhile, the cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. Whenever the ark set out, Moses would say, Arise, Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and those who hate you flee from your presence. When it came to rest, he would say, Return, Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. Song of Songs, chapter 8. If only I could treat you like my brother, one who nursed at my mother's breasts. I would find you in public and kiss you, and no one would scorn me. I would lead you, I would take you to the house of my mother who taught me. I would give you spiced wine to drink from the juice of my pomegranate. May his left hand be under my head and his right arm embrace me. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you to not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. Who is this coming up from the wilderness leaning on the one she loves? I awakened you under the apricot tree. There your mother conceived you. There she conceived and gave you birth. Set me as a seal on your heart, as a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy is as unrelenting as Sheol. Love's flames are fiery flames, an almighty flame. A huge torrent cannot extinguish love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If a man were to give all his wealth for love, it would be utterly scorned. Our sister is young. She has no breasts. What will we do for our sister on the day she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build a silver barricade on her. If she is a door, we will enclose her with cedar planks. I am a wall, and my breasts like towers. So to him I have become like one who finds peace. Solomon owned a vineyard in Baal Haman. He leased the, leased the vineyard to tenants. Each was there to bring for his fruit 1,000 pieces of silver. I have my own vineyard. The 1,000 are for you, Solomon but two hundred for those who take care of its fruits. You who dwell in the gardens, companions, are listening for your voice. Let me hear you. Run away with me, my love, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Psalm chapter 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, the helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore we will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas, Though its water roars and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil, Selah, there is a river, its streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her, she will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Nations rage, kingdoms topple, the earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of armies is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold, Selah. Come see the works of the Lord, who brings devastation on the earth. He makes wars cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. Stop fighting and know that I am God, exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold.
Psalm chapter 47. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a jubilant cry. For the Lord, the Most High, is awe-inspiring, a great king over the whole earth. He subdues peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chooses for us our inheritance, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God ascends among shouts of joy, the Lord with the sound of a ram's horn. Sing praise to God. Sing praise. Sing praise to our king. Sing praise. Sing a song of wisdom, for God is a king of the whole earth. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the peoples have assembled with the people of the God of Abraham. For the leaders of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Yes, Lord, the leaders of the earth belong to you. Turn their hearts to you. Lord, let repentance and the fear of God be raised up in our lands. Deliver us from this epidemic and quarantine and pandemic that is assaulting the whole world. The leaders of the earth belong to you. Turn their heart to you. And as they repent and walk in the fear of God, hear their prayers and release our lands. Heal our lands in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you, friends. Good day to you and Godspeed.